Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper, episode 107. It's your old mate DJ Payne. And with me on this episode, as usual, of course, it's our good friend Dr. Matthew Jacoby. And this episode, we are dedicating to the Song of Songs. You might know it as the Song of Solomon. It's a little book that sits right next to the book of Ecclesiastes. And I think there's something very appropriate going from the book of Ecclesiastes that we've just looked at right into the Song of Solomon. What's it all about? Is it a book that some people either love or they avoid like the plague? What's your experience with it? Now stick around. I've got some special announcements, something really special to announce halfway through the episode and again at the end. So here we go. Grab your copy of Thrive Grab your Bible and let's open to Song of Songs this week on Thrive. Now, I don't know if we need to put a classification warning on this episode of about Song of Solomon's Matt. Well, I don't know where we're going to go with this. Uh, what do you think? Do we put any warnings? Do we put any adults only? What do we What do we do? It's pretty racy stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Song of Songs. It, it, it gets it gets uh, yeah. It does get a little bit graphic. I think in some parts. What is uh, What is this doing in the Bible? <laughs> I should we Should we just check that other Bibles have this in? I this, think this, this is a is it. I, I think you're getting to a great point about about, the, about this book and what's it all about. It, it is really a, a, a divisive book. I, I have found over the years of studying this book and talking about it with members of the church, both women and men, uh, you know, every different type of background, people either really, really love it and it's a favourite book or it's like embarrassing, like, mm. oh, don't don't go there. Yeah. You know what, I, what I've loved about, because we've just covered Ecclesiastes, and, and before that we did Job. And, yes. And one of the things that I love about these books, because because I'm because I love art and literature and the art of literature. Yes. Okay. So uh, I, I love the fact that these books are doing something quite artistic, oh. and and that they're coming from a different direction. So we're used to more straightforward. Uh, it's just a story. Yep. Um. Look, I don't think we're necessarily even that good at even interpreting the stories because I think our approach to the stories is f- too simplistic. Yes. Uh, you know, it's like, here's the story, here's the moral. Well, it doesn't always work like that. Yeah. Uh, often a story is building up something over, you know, a bigger a slab. Anyway, but the point is, is that we're used to more straightforward kind of writings, aren't we, yeah. uh, in the Bible? We, we like something that is a list of, like, can you give it to me in bullet points of commands? Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, can you give me a simple story to under, understand? Something like that. I like those. This is straight up art. Yeah, it is. And, and I mean, we, we talked about Ecclesiastes and, and how it's this strange phenomenon of taking the writings of someone that's kind of lost all all hope and yep. you know has declared life meaningless and and says there you go see swallow that yeah. swallow that pill <laughs> and you think what why am I even reading this yeah uh, and, and um but of course there's a point to that in Ecclesiastes and then you've got Job mm. that has these uh, this kind of uh, this dialogue over 
Job's suffering and, and a lot of what's said there isn't even true. And you're thinking, okay, so I can't just dip into this book in the middle of the book of Job and find truths, my bit of daily inspiration. That's a great point. Uh, so th- there's, there's something of a literary nature that's being done here. Now we get to the Song of Solomon after Job, Ecclesiastes. Now, fortunately, the Song of Songs yep. um, is, and, and Song of Songs is like a superlative. It's like saying the Holy of Holies or the, the, the greatest of songs. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, our God is the King of Kings. Yeah, that's right. This yeah. is the, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a Hebrew way of saying, you know, the best of the best. Yeah, that's right. So we, we, we come to this book and, well, it's a nice bit of light relief, I have to say, after Job and Ecclesiastes, isn't it? it? Which are both. It's very well placed. Yeah, which, which are both quite dark. Well, I, I think there's something about coming out of Ecclesiastes where, again, we've just done two episodes. It, it, you know, dear listener, if you're just coming into it late, welcome. We've just done two episodes on the on the book of Ecclesiastes, where the teacher or the preacher of Ecclesiastes is 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 going on saying meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's all vapor. It's all smoke. Yeah. Um. It, life is an enigma. It's un. Yeah. It's incompre- uncomprehensible underneath yeah. the sun. Who can make any sense of it? But even in the midst of that, and even in the midst of what some would say is some great misogyny from the teacher there, yeah. he still says in a couple of points, "Hey, remember your wife that you married when you were young." You know, love her. Yeah, you get meaning out of that. Get yeah. meaning. He even has a little, little you know bit in in Ecclesiastes, yeah. and it's almost like that little, that little. There's an asterisk next to that, and it says, "See the Song of Solomon." Like it yeah. sort of expands. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Especially if we think the character is either written from the point of view or is actually literally. Solomon, the King yeah. Solomon, yeah, and again, there's debate on you know both Ecclesiastes and yep. and Song of Songs who's written it. But if you're thinking it from from that perspective of mm. Solomon, the character, both of those meanings are so deep. Yeah, you know, that's from right. Ecclesiastes yeah. and Song of Songs. Yeah, that's right. So, um, well, one of the things that I find interesting about this book, and I and I see we have we separate things into. You know, there's there's kind of religious things, and then there's the rest of life. Yes. Um, but there wasn't in in the ancient in the in ancient times there wasn't that separation. They didn't separate these aspects of life, Amen. and so um, so uh, you know, instructions about food and your diet are in there. You, yeah. know? Uh, in, you know, instructions about how to build a house, and and when you build a house, make sure you know safety instructions, and yeah. and and then you've got uh, this. Book of Love poems in there, and so what they did is that they put these books together that speak to different parts of life, and it's contained in the Bible. and And, and I think our expectation is, well, doesn't to be in the Bible, doesn't it need to be of a religious nature? Mm. Uh, well, apparently not, actually, because well, everything is spirit. I mean, this is one of the this is one of the things that I that I will point out is yeah. that everything actually is spiritual, spiritually significant. Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't separate things, you know. I mean, they don't even talk about my spiritual life and then other parts of my life. Now, let me let me just do a quick um, side promo here, and this is this is a new theme that I'm going to be doing more and more on the okay. podcast. I think because I am loving how our sister podcast, Thrive Perspectives, yeah. bleed. They, it's bleeding into each other. Yeah. Now, at the moment. We've just embarked on, um, and depending when you listen to it, we're about to embark or have embarked, Thrive Perspectives about politics. Yep. 
And then you go, okay, d- what's the difference? Politics? And you, now you're talking about mm. Song of Songs. What's going on here? There's a theme that we, we've brought up in our political talk and talk, we will continue to go. And as I've been studying it and thinking about it, meditating, praying on it, in Thrive Perspectives, that we live in the kingdom of God. We live yep. in Jesus' kingdom. And there is no secular or, mm. you know, Christian. Like there is – if you know what I mean, like it's all God's. God cares about everything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, and, and I think that's – and that I see that here. Life is I unhealthy. See, yeah, that's right. I see that here in Song of Songs. Like he, he, he's going to talk about intimate, you know, sensual love and marriage and relationship and all of this type of stuff in sexuality and everything. In this book, God is barely mentioned, sort of like even just glanced at in it, but yeah. yet it's in our, it's in the middle of our Bible. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so what they've done is they've ga- gathered. Uh, Writings together that reflect um, uh, that reflect what is truly good and right and true and and in different ways you know yep. so um, so book of Ecclesiastes well here here is someone that that from this perspective in the character of Solomon here's a here's a kind of literary reflection on the meaninglessness of life apart from God oh, well that's worthy yeah. Yes, you know it's it's like it's like if you and I were putting a Bible together and we took some film that you know or, or some book you know yeah. that 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 just um, says something valid but yes. it's not the whole picture yeah. and we said well let's let's include that because yeah. that uh, you know even coming from someone who has kind of lost the plot or doesn't see things the way that we see them. I mean, that's essentially what you're kind of getting in the book of book of Ecclesiastes, what you're getting in Job, uh, you know, but, but they're including these things because this is good and useful. This is a piece of literature that, that um, is good and useful. And it's like, the imprimatur of God is is. Well, define that it. word. Define that word. Like God is putting his imprim, imprint of. Okay. Um, so there's a sense of, um, there's a, a, Way of um, distinguishing different kinds of of um, it's a very famous book called Divine Discourse by Nicholas Walterstorff, and he 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 reflects on the different kinds of discourse in the Bible. Yep, and there is like dictated discourse, which is like God's the word. prophet. Yeah, yep. the the Lord says, write it yes. down. Yes, um, but there is also uh, what he calls um, well, there is deputized discourse. So. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably more like the letters. Paul writes a letter, mm-hmm. and he does that in the authority and, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it's deputized, so Paul—it's very much Paul himself. Yeah, you know. So it's it's not necessarily the dictated words of God, mm-hmm. but Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's um, that's deputized discourse. Then he speaks uh, of. Um, uh, appropriated discourse. I'm really. It's been a long time since I read that book. Um, appropriated discourse, which is. Um, I, I, where a piece of literature is appropriated mm. and put within the Bible to have that stamp, yes, it. this is true and good. Um, so there's a kind of divine appropriation of something. Now, I mean, in the book of a proverb, book of Proverbs, we have uh, the sayings of King Lemuel or the sayings of the wise, or you know, which is appropriated uh, proverbs from different nations that just happen to be true. Mm. Um, so, um, so I think um, what we have in the book of Ecclesiastes is something appropriated. Um, uh, though probably not from a non-Jewish source. No. Uh, and uh, what we have in the Song of Solomon most probably 
is not the um, and I did a little bit of reading about authorship and there's, authorship, and there's you know differences of opinion uh, on this. But on the most part, um, the, the, we may not be just talking about one author. This is often described as an anthology of love poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot of the interesting to look at. So we have this anthology of love poems that are put together. Mm-hmm. Some of them may have been by Solomon or about Solomon. Um, we're not sure who wrote all of them, but it's certainly because th- there's no sense of uh, it, it. Well, at least it's difficult to construct a coherent narrative out yes. of it. Now yep. there have been some very attempt, uh, interesting attempts to do that, and I'll share a couple of the sort of. Oh, I've got I've got a couple. Oh, as you're well. going to well. okay. as well. Okay, so let's 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 okay let's let's pause for a second, and I, and, and, and I want to just. Throw out something because I know people listen to the beginning and they think, "Oh, do I want to listen to the rest of the episode?" Here's, here, I want to give you something, you know, to to whet your appetite to yep. to listen to the rest of the episode because we are going to be talking about relationship. We're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about you know uh, sexuality, all that all that stuff that comes out of the Song of Songs. But I also want to throw something to you. I want to say, if you're listening, and especially uh, you know, if if you're a woman. And you're listening. This is a book in the middle of the Bible, one of the only books, if not the only book that I can mm-hmm. think of, that is, that is mostly spoken and written in the first person of a woman. Yeah, that's right. And not just any woman, a woman who is passionate, Yeah, a woman who is gets in trouble. A woman who who loves passionately has a lot to say, and we and it's it's very it stands out it stands out. And again, I don't want to play into the narrative like oh, women are subjugated in the Bible or anything like that. But this, but the books that we have are written from men, and uh, I, I don't think there's something really unique and beautiful and feminine mm. and very beautiful. There's a reason why it's called the Song of Songs. Yeah. Is because it's really special in the Bible. So I would love you to keep listening, because the and and, and again the only thing in 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 going through this over the last few days, I start I almost contacted you, Matt, and said, I think we need to get a lady on this podcast. I think mm. we need to get a lady. You know, we, we can't just have two dudes talking mm. about a book written from a woman. But bear with us. We're we're gonna we're gonna yeah, do. Yeah, that's it. right. And one uh, one school of thought. Uh, Suggests that the whole thing is written by a woman. Yeah. Uh, look, you know, but I think most most probably this is an anthology, and certainly uh, a lot of it is in is in the woman's voice. And and, yeah. and I certainly think that it may well have been uh, written by a woman. I, but again, not a lot rests on that necessarily. No. It's just interesting no. to it's think just about. Interesting, but yeah. as you say, it is actually written in the most of it is written in the female voice yeah. uh, as well. So um, one of the just going back to a general view, and one of the things that I love about this book, uh, because the question comes up, what is a book, again, I want to come back to this question, what is a book of love poetry doing in the Bible? Let's just, uh, now, because because we think, well, the Bible is this holy, you know, spiritual book, uh, and and doesn't, doesn't this seem to draw the Bible down to the level, you know, the, the sort of level of the profane perhaps. Hmm. Uh, now, I would say what is happening here is the opposite, that the Song of Solomon isn't drawing the Bible down, but 
the Song of Solomon actually, by being included in the Bible, is actually drawing sexuality up oh. into the sacred. Yeah, amen. And it's and and I think it's showing, uh, making an important point that there's something intensely spiritual. Uh, I mean, uh, but see, the, even that is. See, we make that. That's yeah. a very Western kind yes. of yes. thing to talk about the spiritual. Yes. Yeah, you know, yep. there's the spiritual stuff and there's the non-spiritual stuff. Because in in this worldview, and actually, I think I think our segmented worldview, or as one um, uh, one scholar put it, our buffered worldview, where we sort of buffer ourselves uh, from our environment, uh, that it is. Whereas ancient peoples were much more um, holistic, yeah, much more holistic, had much a greater sense of belonging, much more immediate sense of the spiritual. Yeah, that there was everything was sort of spiritual. They didn't yeah. segment life. So, um, so sexuality in that view is is part of this this sacred set of things that God has created, mm. and this is a celebration of that. Thing. Mm. And I and and because it's such a prominent aspect of life, I love the fact that there is a whole book of the Bible that celebrates that. Amen. And and it's it's significant too because, um, you know, the God often describes his relationship with either Israel or, or Christ's relationship to the church in terms of a marriage relationship, mm. and so it draws on the sacredness of the man woman togetherness that mm. is set up in Genesis chapter one. Um, and Genesis chapter two, having this sense of two halves of the one whole, that oneness, yep. actually becomes a key paradigm mm-hmm. that God uses to describe His relationship to His people. Okay, you, you've you've uh, given us a great starting point here, Matt, to say, okay, the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book, and and and, and historically, and you know, till till, till today, there's been three. Overviews of the purpose of the book. There's mm. been the, um, uh, you know, a, a, a Judaic way of looking at it that some rabbis and everything have that this is a picture of God and the Jewish people. Yeah. Right. This is, you know, it's a metaphor. It's analogy. Mm. It's it's beautiful poetry that uses something that we we know about romantic love to paint the picture of how God and and the Jewish people feel about one another. That, that that was an emergent kind of thing, you know, as you know, yep. la- later in history. Certainly, a long time after the book was exactly, uh, I-, I guess, compiled and yes, and 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 its importance was recognised. And I don't, and I don't, definitely don't want to say that um, even amongst rabbis back then or today or whatever, yep. that's a consist like that's yep. a one solid view across yep. the board. It's not the same for the then the early church. Yeah, same thing. Um, you know, an emerged. You know, the Christian view emerged the same thing. This is a view of the church and Jesus Christ. This is a picture yep. of, of of the church's Jesus Christ's love of the church and the church's yep. love of Jesus. Um, we even take some of the phrases from the Song of Solomon and sing them in our worship songs or yep. praise songs. Yep. We even use use them yep. about that. Now that's not a consistent yeah, view I, of the I church. I noticed that. I noticed that on this read. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Rose okay. of Sharon. You yeah. know exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, do that's not a consistent view amongst all, all the church. And again, it was an emergent view yeah. that came out yeah. later in the church. Then the third view is no, this, as you have maybe yeah. showed your hand already, yeah. 
this is just a beautiful picture of what marriage, relationship, love, all of this stuff between a man and woman is like. Yeah. Okay, so it's interesting in looking at the history of the interpretation of this book because something really interesting happens that that hasn't really happened so much with other books as clearly is that almost all interpretation of this book, Jewish and Christian, up until the 19th century was this is an allegory. And then in the 19th century, this changes completely. You would be hard-pressed to find a biblical scholar today that advocates an allegorical interpretation. Pretty much everyone is saying, no, this is an anthology of love poetry. Now, why such a sudden change across the board? Um, Well, a part of it is the – well, there's a few – there's a few rege- a few um, reasons reasons for this uh, that that have led to the sort of the rejection of the allegorical approach. Now, not th- this uh, by saying it's a collection of love po- poetry, it still holds on to the idea that this establishes a paradigm that is used to express Christ's relationship to the yes. church and God's relationship to Israel. So it, it's still. A paradigm, but you, you have to start with what it was originally meant to be, and that is a celebration of um, of physical and romantic love. Yes. Okay. So, um, one of the things was a discovery of ancient Near Eastern love poetry that this was pretty much exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So there are forms being used in this that are the same as as elsewhere, but also, I guess, the recognition of a almost a kind of platonic kind of influence and even some of the rabbinic stuff possibly has a little bit of that platonic kind of influence where there was this very popular view um, that was influential even in the church that you know the physical was somehow this is the separation of the spiritual the physical and the spiritual yes Um, you know Plato believed that everything as soon as it becomes physical it's inherently imperfect and so the spiritual is the good and the physical is the is sort of almost like the ball and chain, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, you you get this this attitude that says, "Well, this can't be about physical; it must be about something higher." Yeah. And, and even uh, for uh, you know Greek thinkers following and 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 those influenced by Plato, even um, beautiful forms were meant to point beyond themselves. Uh, you know. You would celebrate a beautiful, and this is, of course, what the statues that why they cre- Greeks created statues all the time. You know, why do they? Yeah. Why do they keep creating these statues <laughs> of, of you know, nude statues? Yeah. these nudes are everywhere. Why? Yeah. Well, uh, it, it there is this Platonic idea that a beautiful thing points to a higher, um, what they called the form of the beautiful, yeah. uh, a higher standard. You know, so um, so even physical attraction, you know, Plato felt should you you can't get uh, you need to allow that to cause you to transcend into the realm of reflection and it was all a bit idealistic. Yeah. I mean, it was actually literally idealistic in a <laughs> philosophical uh, use of the term. Uh, and so so there was that that sense that this, this celebration of physical love and sexuality 
must it must point beyond itself. Just as a statue of a nude is not just about the nude, it's yeah. about pointing beyond itself to the form of beauty, yeah. Uh, yeah. W- which sort of exists in a sort of spiritual, non-corporeal sense. Yeah. So, um, so the interpretation of this book, when they looked at this book, there was the feeling like it must point. It can't just be about love yes. and sexuality because yeah. that's not very spiritual. No, exa- exactly. No, no, we can't just have that. Okay, real, real quickly because we're going to jump into the narrative, narrative in just a moment. Um, but I just wanted to say our cast of characters in this eight chapters, we've got, um, we've got a male character. Mm. <clears throat> now we'll, we'll get into the story aspect of it. Uh, Solomon yeah. slash a shepherd. Hint, is it the same person? Is it is it two yep. different people? We might yep. get into that in a minute. We have uh, the Shalomite, uh, the yep. bride, the woman, yep. the, the the female character, the woman who's doing most of the talking. Uh, Shalomite here. Uh, I'll come back to her in a second. Daughters of Jerusalem. Um, we have even we even hear from the Shalomites' brothers yep. at a certain point, and then maybe depending on how you define it, there's one phrase. There's literally one line in chapter five, at the beginning of chapter five, that some interpreters say this is the maker, this is the creator yep. speaking on. So God might be hinted at. Now coming back to the Shalomite, uh, in in doing research here, there's another f- very famous Shalomite that Solomon knew. Right, the actual King Solomon, and we hear about this in Kings. Right at the end of King David's life, Solomon's father, King David was very old. He could not get warm. He was bed stricken. Mm. He was cold all the time. And so his advisors, Solomon being one of them, said, Why don't we bring a young woman to, to lie with him in a purely non sexual way? Mm. To be his carer, to to, mm. to 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 be is is like we think of in home care yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was in bed care, you know, yeah. almost like to yeah. hold him, keep him warm, and make sure that this beloved king is yeah. okay. Because they didn't have electric blankets in <laughs> those days. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't. Instead, they had an, a beautiful Shalomite woman who was oh, what was her name? Abba Abba Abba. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Abby something. Let's just call her Abby. Abby the sh- the the, the sh- they brought her down and sh- and and the place uh, is not just Shalomite. It's also Shun. It's it's a diff- mm, it's two yeah. different ways to spell it. Not far from Jerusalem, just yeah. a few kilometers away yeah. from Jerusalem. Brought her down. They all said, "Man, she is the most beautiful yeah. woman in all of the region." Mm. She looked after him, and we see you know as the story continues, we see even Bathsheba. Uh, you know, going to to the king and and she being there and he, she beseeching the king and stuff like. That. So there's a Shalomite woman there. Very early on in in Solomon's life, mm. the most beautiful woman in all the world, who is working for the father, working for Solomon's father. Yeah. Some interpreters go, "This is the love story yeah. of young Solomon yeah. who meets his his father's." Carer, this woman who comes from mm. a different land, you know, this region, you know, gar- uh, 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 you know, um, agricultural region up yeah. north. <clears throat> he comes in and they meet, and it's the love story of yeah. this. Very beautiful. I don't know. There's something I like about yeah. that bringing that in, but we don't know. No, no we don't know. So, but this, but this, but Matt, I wanted to throw to you the story aspect, and, and you've said obviously the anthology of poetry. Yeah. You know, anthology meaning that look, it is really hard to find a narrative through it. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have tried. A lot of people 
failed. A lot of people have thrown their hands up. But there's a few when when people do want to do want to get a narrative view, a story view of this book, you can either say anthology, it's too hard. It's just yeah. a collection of poems. Yeah. Or you say it's a beautiful story of the Shalomite and King Solomon and their love together in different these weird little different vignettes as it yeah. goes through. Or and I would love to hear your opinion on this one. There is there is a view out there, a narrative narrative view that is a, that is the story of a a, 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 beth, a betrothed woman to King Solomon, who is actually in love with a shepherd, yeah. and runs yeah. away from King Solomon to go be with the shepherd. Yeah, that's a interesting one. That's an interesting, and that is if you want to read this consistently as a narrative, that's probably the most. You know, yeah, that's an interesting one. That's the yeah. most way you can sort of read it all literally and go, okay, this happens after this happens after this. That makes sense. But I don't know if we're even meant to read it like that. Yeah, <laughs> let, let, let's let's come back to that one because it's, okay. it's an interesting one. Okay. So, so I think in summary, let, let's just summarise where we've got yes. to. So uh, I think, you know, we're, we're stressing the fact that this is love poetry. Amen. And, and it's, it's lifting the area of sexuality up to the sacred. Yes. Sexuality is sacred. Um, uh, we want to say more about that uh, in a moment because I think that's a very important, very important topic. Um, and uh, so I think, uh, so for example, one um, scholar situates the book in the, the song actually in the time of Solomon, uh, in the time of Solomon. Mm-hmm. Um, detecting a woman's voice in the book, um, and she says, uh, she says this: um, the song was composed in honor of King Solomon by a young woman, daughter of a nobleman, who was brought to his court in order to adorn his parties by her singing. What would be more natural than for Solomon, the great woman lover, to ask one of the female singers of his court to gather for him the best of the current Israel, Israelite love poetry? Mm. Again, this is one of these conjectures, right? Yes, it's just a yes. conjecture as to the kind of situation. I love it. Now, um, so so within the, the, the collection of love poetry, and was this, uh, this is perhaps a, a collection of love poetry that was commissioned because... Um, something that would happen at weddings w- would be that they would sing love songs yes. like this. Yes. And and kind of almost enact the yeah. the sort of courtship sort of drama through and from, song. And from what I what I've read that was a, that was traditionally what the women would do. It was a very yeah, that's weird, right. yeah. it was a, it was what the women were expected to do with the sing these love songs yeah, that's and right. carry through. Yeah. Yeah, so this is this is a common part of ancient life and what we have here mm. um uh, it possibly is something that was used in the marriage ceremony. Again, it's because it's strange to us. We don't have. Well, I mean, no, we do have this. You know, people play a song during yeah. their ceremony, and yeah. uh, you know, a song that meant a lot to them. So yeah. we actually do have this. Well, yes. they had the same thing. Yeah. They would bring. They would have their songs mm. that celebrate love, and mm. and and this is kind of an anthology mm. of, of those songs, possibly. Yeah. So. Um, uh, but then, then there's that this approach, and, and and this is what you've been talking about that, that takes what's known as the dramatic approach. Mm. That this isn't just an anthology of love songs that perhaps were used at weddings and so forth. That this is actually a drama, um, and uh, so it's almost like a kind of play. Yeah. Um, one of the complicated things about this approach is is that it's difficult to put that together exactly because we yes. don't have. You know, we don't. It's not framed, or or you're not quite sure what the narrative is. 
Uh, but there are basically two main uh, kinds of dramatic approaches approaches it's the two character plot and the three character plot and that's what i was just saying yeah yeah exactly um the uh, three character plot being she's betrothed to solomon but she's in love with the shepherd shepherd. can you get uh, are you familiar enough to with these plots to give us the running because i I like the way you do this okay so so very very briefly look it's the two character plot is basically it's both of them are fantastic to be honest with you both of them i love yeah. The two-character plot is she's betrothed to Solomon and Solomon is this character far away, but she's in love with this, you know, um, the, no, you know, no, the shepherd. Is, that's the three. No, 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 no. The two-character one oh. is she also knows his shepherd. Well, at a certain point, it's like, hey, surprise, the shepherd is Solomon. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, okay. She, so uh, she's yeah, already gotcha. fallen in love with Solomon yeah, yeah, gotcha. and he is the shepherd. It's the one and the same. And then for the rest ah, of it- I, Okay, I didn't get that, that detail. That's that's the first three. Again, there's probably multiple yeah, yeah. ways to even interpret this so because she does talk about a shepherd. She talks about Solomon from afar. And then when we finally get this speech, it's like, oh, they, the two characters sort of intermingle and then it's like, oh, it's the same person. And you can read the rest of it for them, yeah. like that. That's the two character play. I, You know what? I like the three-character one. The three-character one is she is betrothed to Solomon, but yet she loves this young uh, shepherd who is leaping down the hills and is this really vivid, passionate character, and he loves her for who she is. And, and she is betrothed to this stately king in the in the urban areas in this great mm. city, and she is taken in there. You hear King Solomon's, you know, beautiful speech about how beautiful she is. And she's sort of thinking, oh, maybe. And she's then, forced, like, isn't it? Like she, but she's, but well, she's. Well, maybe not forced, but compelled. She's compelled. And so, in it, so Solomon, in a sense, is the bad guy in that three character plot. Almost, almost. Like he does sort of woo her over and he's being very gracious about it. And there's a betrothal period and she's in the city. And then. We hear the knock yeah, that's, on the door that's right. and it's the young shepherd yeah. lover saying, come, come, let's run away together. Let's go, let's go. And she's in her bed and she's wondering, oh, do I run away? Do I run? When she finally opens up the door, he's gone. He's had to run away because the guards are coming Yeah, and she left it too long. She was double thinking. She runs after him. Solomon's guards get her. They realise what's going on. They rough her up. They strip a veil off her, say, what are you doing? But eventually she does run away. And her brothers and everybody say, what are you doing? And she runs away with her, in, you know, with her love. And even Solomon, by the end of it, is like, God bless you, lovers. You know, you're the one that got away type of attitude. Yeah, and so it's it's a kind of a celebration of true love as opposed to – because, of course, as we know, what the, the big problem with Solomon is that he had so many wives. And, and that that's yes. not a – you know, that's something that the biblical authors see as really the key to his fall. Oh. And so um, – yep. In that three-character plot, uh, one of the things I like about that is that it has a, there's a bit of a moral to this story. Yes, you know that uh, that this woman because you think, well, what about those women? Like those yeah. uh, that I mean, it's a terrible situation really for them yeah. to be in 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 such a big harem, and it's 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 very much like the other nations did things, and of course that's not what God wanted. And, yeah, and and we as we know from the life of Solomon. The problem was is that he starts more and more to do things like the other nations does, and that includes all of these wives, many of whom were brought into his harem 
uh, or, or made his wives um, to seal political and trade alliances. hundred percent. Because that's how you did it. You did yeah. it with marriage. And so the more wives you had, the more powerful you were because yeah. each wife represented a political alliance. Yeah. So the, the um, uh, 700 wives and 400 concubines – Wow, you, yeah. you, you know, like this is this is Solomon saying, "Look how powerful I am." Mm, mm. Um, it isn't just about his sexual appetite; it's it's a really a, it's a power and prestige trip for him. Yeah. So, so in a sense, the the three character pro- plot um, is sort of celebrating true love as opposed to that. Yeah. And so there's this sense that she goes chasing true love instead of and you and, and being you and you have hit the, you've hit the nail on the head for why some interpreters today gravitate towards that dr- dr- dramatic way because it does have a strong moral element to it where the others sort of go, oh, maybe yeah. it's not a great moral in this story. Some people talk about this, and it also gives some ground for some pretty other interesting interpretations. But let's take a break real quick, and we'll actually get some points where we can walk away with some stuff from Song of Songs next here on Thrive Deeper. your old buddy DJ Payne and don't hit that skip button just yet don't fast forward or else you're going to miss out on a very special offer I, I listen I know you're dying to get back into the Song of Solomon I know you're loving all the you know romantic juicy stuff but before it gets all hot and heavy let's just have a breather together and I've got a very special offer we here the team at Thrive want to give you something for free that's right as you know, that this, this podcast, Thrive Deeper, is all based on the Thrive Daily Reading Guide, written by our very own Matt Jacoby. It's enjoyed by thousands of people all around the world as they daily read through the guide and go through the Word of God. Now, for those of you who don't have a copy of Thrive, I know there's people listening who don't actually go through the Daily Reading Guide, they just enjoy the podcast. And you might be thinking, oh, listen, I should do it. I want to do it. It's something on my to-do list, but you haven't got around to it. Well, let me just tell you, I want to give you a copy for absolutely free. That's right. A copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide for free. We've got a brand new edition just out now. It goes from November 2020 all the way through to January 2021, and it covers the Gospel of Luke. It's what we're about to go through next on Thrive Deeper, the Gospel of Luke, and you can read along with us in your very own copy for free. Now, the Thrive Daily Reading Guide is available in both a physical copy that you can carry with your Bible and turn to it in your pages, a paper copy there, or it's available as an ebook, and you can enjoy it on your device and read it electronically. Now, there's a couple of caveats. If you are in Australia, you can get either a physical copy or an electronic copy for totally for free. If you're anywhere else in the world, we're offering you the electronic ebook edition only. All right, but it's still 100% for free. It's so easy to do. Seize on this opportunity 
because we're going to cut it off around Friday the 20th of November. If you're listening after that, sorry, you've missed out. If you're listening before that and stocks are still lasting, you need to head over to thrivetoday.tv. At the bottom of the homepage there, click on subscribe to the Thrive Bible Reading Guide and then select the current issue in the cart, in the shopping cart. It's pretty easy to do. In the checkout, you'll see a coupon code offer and you just use the coupon code DEEPER. Use the coupon code DEEPER. And once more, just so we're clear, if you're in Australia, you can select either the physical copy or the ebook and you can get either one for free. Everyone else in the world, select the ebook edition, the electronic edition, and you can get that 100% for free and enjoy it there. Please jump on this special offer. I know how much you're going to love getting this special physical copy for free as we go through the book of Luke. <sighs> Did all of that make sense? I hope so, because it's a special offer only available to you, our podcast listeners. So if you want a copy of Thrive for free, do exactly what I just said. You might have to rewind it and follow it again. It's really simple to do. If you've got any dramas, reach out to us, but we want to give that to you for free. All right, that's enough from me and that special offer. Let's get back into the Song of Solomon here. Thrive to deeper we're looking at the song of songs the song of solomon that's right this little book after ecclesiastes in the middle of the bible we've given you the groundwork of all the different interpretations and ways to look at it but matt i think we actually have to get into the text and actually pull out some truth for us today i i love i love the juicy stuff in that in that in that dramatic yeah. interpretation yeah uh, and the more I think about it, the, the, the more I like it. It's it, it's just difficult to know for sure. But, but I love the sort of moral of that story. I love the way it connects with Solomon's life. Yeah. Um, it, one one advocate of that view is um, Ian Proven, who's a, a prominent Old Testament scholar, and 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 he very much casts it in that in that light of of you know this woman who was in Solomon's harem, but you know really wants more than that for her and 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 she's caught up in this situation and, and she falls yep. in love with this shepherd and yep. and so it's this love story yep. um that vindicates true love as opposed to what Solomon was was getting into. And and not only does it vindicate true love, but there's something in this for oh, how do I say this? For men and for women, I'm gonna say I, I before I, I, for for men and for women, if you've ever been someone in a church setting that is a square peg in a round hole or a round peg in a square hole or whatever yeah. you want to say, where you've want to, you've been passionate, you want to live to your convictions and you want to say what's on your heart and yet the culture around you wants to say, no, in your box, this is where you yeah. belong. There's something beautiful about this. Now, whichever way you interpret it, this woman, this Shalomite, is a passionate, loud, opinionated woman, and she's yeah. going against the advice of her yeah. brothers. She's going against, but she is convicted, and, and she's vindicated, I think, by yeah. God. Yeah. She's vindicated by the fact That's that we right. have this yeah. book in the Bible. 
there's something to this, even if you look at that big picture worldview and looking at it like that, there's something beautiful about this book saying, hey, God cares about yeah. you know, people like this as That's well. That's right. And she's making her own choices and yeah. she's she's pursuing the one that she wants to be with. Yeah. And, the, and, and this is in a time where there's so many either arranged marriages or, or you've got uh, – you know, people brought into the courts of the king, or yes. and, and as we know, that's happening. So, yeah, th- this is this is why I, I like that. You know, I'm happy to go on record as being someone who likes <laughs> I, who likes the dramatic that dramatic I, I, approach. I've, I've got to admit, I I, I gravitate between <clears throat> between that view or the view that this is a record of a very young Solomon and that. Oh, Shalomite. you like that one, dear? There's something beautiful about a young Solomon and the Shalomite woman yeah. of 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 King okay. David. Uh, there's something beautiful but there about isn't that. A, but there isn't a sort of a moral to that story, I know, though. I, I know, I know, I know. Like <laughs> little, little, that's why I, I end up leaning towards the three character. Mm. But let's get to the to some actual truth. Now, yep. number, number one point, this is what I can't stand. This is something that literally I feel like throwing tomatoes at pe- preachers yep. who do this. And I've had it, and mm. we've had it happen in our own church. Mm. This is something that drives me insane. Modern preachers getting up and going, <laughs> Song of Solomon. <laughs> look what look what they say about the bride. Her sheep and the teeth and the neck is a bro-. and they and they use it as a joke. Mm. I my blood begins to boil, and I'm like, how dare you? How dare you? You know, and again, uh, this is me because I hold I hold the word so mm. high and everything like that. I know people aren't trying to do it to make fun of anybody or anything like that. They're finding humour in what is there. But bring I think, in- there's, a, I think there's a there's a sort of a yeah. I I, I get your point, but there, there is some of it that is it does to us. Oh. seems kind of funny. You know, of course. Of course, we go. Hang on, I'm not. You know, going your to- neck is like a tower, and yes. and, and your nose and, is. You know, and when you yeah. picture it, it's it's like, whoa, she must have, yeah, really been quite a sight. <laughs> uh, you know, and not the, a good one. But that point that especially for the male characters, whether it's the shepherd or Solomon or both, the way they praise the woman, it is very agricultural. And to our modern Western ears, yeah. we can't help but think visually yeah. of what they're saying, and it creates a monster yeah. in our mind. Yeah. How are we? I mean, and the reason why I bring that up yeah. is because that's one of the most common things that people, when you talk about Song yeah. of Solomon, they treat it as a joke and they ha 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 about this. Yeah. What? How do we get past that as modern readers, Matt? Well, well, I think uh, one of the key things with the way that, with the descriptions, um, and I'm just going to find one of them, mm. um, is that they're not. Uh, when he says your, uh, you know, like four verse four, your neck is like the Tower of David, uh, mm. built with courses of stone, <laughs> you know, and you think. Uh, but the problem is we just go visual. Yes. This is virtues talking about the virtues of yes. you know, it's talking about strength and um and so uh you know uh, it says here your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse I mean it's it's and you think I'm trying to picture that's hard to <laughs> No, no, you're not meant to picture it. It's no it's a different kind of poetry. It's not a visual poetry, it's a poetry of of kind of uh celebrating the virtues of these Physical aspects. Dare I even say it? It is way better than yeah. our shallow yeah. visual poetry. Oh, yeah. It's 
so much better because the sad thing is the love songs and the love poetry that we in the West are used to now is all physical surface stuff. Yeah. It's like you're beautiful, you're curvy, you've got this, your hand like it's all yeah. very surface. These this this guy is is way deeper. Yeah. Because he's bringing the way that I feel about the way that your neck curves is the way that I feel when I see this tower built over here for the yeah. glory of God and the power, like, and the feeling that I get, like, yeah, it's all about this it. deep. Yeah. It's so much deeper, and and I think it shows the difference between our modern mindset and this ancient mindset because the the, mo- the modern mindset is, is one in which we have this, and, and we've talked about this before. We've talked about this in a, in a perspectives thrive perspectives mm. episode. Mm. We we have this strange. As, as I said, uh, as, as the philosopher Charles Taylor actually puts it, this buffered kind of thing between us and the physical world um, where, where it's this subject-object relationship. Mm-hmm. So we relate to, f- to things like as objects and we tend even to relate to each other as objects. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and that's very much, uh, you know, we see that in, in our culture where physicality is objectified and, and women's bodies are objectified. Great point. And, um, and you just don't get – it's a very interesting feature of this book, particularly in the light of our culture that objectifies things down to physical, you know, really physical attributes yeah. uh, and certain physical attributes and there's a certain one way of, you know, idealising that, you know, the body and it's going to yeah. look like this and yeah. – and whereas here you don't get that no. objectivizing thing, no. the, the celebration of beauty here is something a lot deeper, mm. um, and uh, and and I think um, you know there's a connection with there's a celebration of physicality and, and physical beauty in a way that um, that just doesn't treat the other person like an object. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. The other thing is put your mindset in the in the uh, the writers and the hearers of this of the time. They lived in an agricultural world. Yeah, so they're going to use different pictures, yeah. They're going to use different pictures, but also let me say this and and this is for all of my beloved um, tree-hugging hippie yeah. friends. Yeah. <laughs> all our beloved greenies. They were so in touch with the land and the animals and the gardens and the you know every, all of all of nature they are in touch with nature and agriculture that they are using you know washed sheep as yeah. an example of utter beauty so so unlike us in the west or in urban centers that live so re- separately yeah. to our, 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 you know, sources of, of, you know, we just think of vegetation as a source of food. We yeah. think of animals as a, as a, as a thing, yeah. you know, these people were living amongst it and working amongst it. So for them, beautifully washed sheep coming down this hill yeah. is a sense of beauty for us. We're like, Oh, there's dinner. You know, like we yeah. don't think yeah. of it like that. Exactly. So yeah. there's this beautiful, natural, you know, uh, uh, agricultural worldview on this, and it's really, 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 really beautiful. Yeah, it's great. Let me let me read uh, just a few sections. Uh, so um, this is a chapter four, verse ten. Uh, How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. Now this mm. is interesting because uh, it's his bride, but sister in the sense of part of the family of the children of God. Yeah, and so even there, there's a sense of I'm. There's an acknowledgement of that. Of of a relationship that actually, um, 
of a relationship addition to just the sexual yes. or marriage relationship that there's a sort of a spiritual bond yep. uh, here as well. Um, how much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any other spice? You know, your lips drop a sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Uh, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. Yep. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. You know, you can. You, it's the imagery... Even to us as as modern readers, yeah. there's a beautiful poetic element to this. The way that this uh, image imagery is used, verse thirteen, your plant your plants uh, are an orchid of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, and he goes through. It's just yeah, beautiful Woo! imagery. Getting a bit racy there, Matt. That's Getting right, a bit yeah. racy. Look, the, and and again, we're running out of time, and we could spend a lot. A lot there's so much beauty in this book. <clears throat> I'd love to. I'd love to be able to pull out some practical applications. Yeah. Uh, from this book, yep. and I think my let me let me jump in first, Matt, because I know you've got a lot to say on this one. But young men and young women, where whatever stage you are in your relationship, if, even if you're yep. pre-relationship, yep. if you're engaged, if you're newly married, if you're wanting to be married, yep. Song of Solomon, do not be scared of the mm. song of, of Song of Songs. It is very sensual. It's very sexual. It is, you know, you. there's a lot of innuendo and meanings through it all. There is something so beautiful about the advice in this book of there's a theme, there's a reoccurring theme that comes again and again, yeah. and you hear it from the the bride to the daughters of Jerusalem, do not awaken love until it's ready. You know, sort That's of like- a repeated statement, yeah. Yeah, do, like- and that's that's I think as we get a hint of something bigger or spiritual or God's hand in it. Yeah. Like when it's supposed yeah. to happen at the right time, it will happen. That's right. Right. There's an appropriateness to to, to relationships, but th- one of the big themes of this book is desire, and dare I even say it, building desire. Yeah. In a young couple or even yep. in a married couple. Yeah. And it talks, and I think there's something beautiful, especially. For young men, for young stoic men, I think this gives you a key, you know, in some pretty graphic ways that when the man speaks in chapter four, chapter six, he he just praises the woman. He goes from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, talks about every part of her yeah. and how special she is. And in the response to all of that beautiful flowery language from the men complimenting his his bride or his his beloved – the woman is always like, I'm yours. Let you yeah. know, like this is yeah. and I think that's a beautiful picture that that young men should learn about their would be spouse or their new spouse or your spouse that you have now, or even if you've been married forever, mm. your bride longs to hear mm. all the different ways that you love them, all the different mm. ways that you think of them. Even just physically, even if you just keep it on the surface like that with this. All the ways that you make, she makes you feel. If you can convey that, oh my goodness, the picture here is that she's like, "I'm yours. This that's is a, it." Yeah, that's that's a. I think that's a great application. There's the, there's an outpouring of emotion here, oh. and and, uh, and 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 a celebration, you know, of they're celebrating each other. I think yes. that's a beautiful. Yes. That in itself, I think, is something worth noting. The the, the let me go to that statement, the repeated statement. 
um, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Mm. Man, there's a pearl of wisdom in that. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. I mean, this that's an interesting statement if, if you're to take the dramatic approach and the, you know, because, uh, well, it's it, I think it works in any case. Like, don't, don't go there and make it happen. Um, like, do this in the right way. You know, uh, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So there's a sense um, in which it, it shouldn't be uh, – it, there needs there needs to be the the kind of right timing, the right commitment, the um, and and in the ancient world, this is particularly poignant because of you know uh, arranged marriages too young or forced marriages, as a, as was often the case in the ancient world. A king would seconder a you know a woman into his harem or something like that, and this is saying no, no, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Um, so. I, there's something beautiful about that, and then and then there, there's this kind of warning about be careful, yeah. Bef- be careful what you do with this passion. Um, this comes out in um, uh, verse six of um, chapter one of my chapter eight, um, which says, "Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death." It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for the Lord, it would be for love. It would be utterly scorned. Mm. So th- there is this sense of of the like. There's a celebration of the strength of that emotion, but there's also a sense of be very careful because you, you know with a fire, you you know. You've got to watch oh, that it doesn't get out out, out of control, 100%. and and we, you've got to watch that this fire is contained. But when it's contained, it can burn in all its intensity in the right kind of way and in the right kind of context. Yeah, and I think and I think that's one of the, uh, Matt. You've brought up you know the culmination here at the, at the end of the book. If you read it like that linear, you know sort of, sort of sense. Finally, the young woman says that amazing amazing line in there in chapter eight, and I think. That that theme is something that, you know, it was true back then, but it's especially true now. I can only speak to my own, own, um, you know, life in this. In someone who was raised in the church from the time he was five years old, mm. right? From the time my parents got saved, and I went to a Bible believing, mm. you know, fundamentalist, you know, you yeah. whatever you want to say, church, and we were told, you know, truth of everything, but when it came to sexuality. And I think this is some. This is an issue, maybe, for the evangelical church mm. around in the West. Is you're told about abstinence, and mm. you're told to wait until you're married. You know, when yep. it comes to sex, when it comes to physical closeness, and as a young Christian, you you read the word and you hear the statements and you go, "Yeah, Amen, truth, yes, mm. yes." What I wish, what I long for, and if I could go back, and I've done this in my, you know, I, formerly I was part of, you know, doing youth work in different churches, <clears throat> and I would always say this to young pe- people because this is what I wanted someone to say to me, exactly what comes out of Song of Psalms. Yeah. Be careful because you will fall in love with someone or you'll desire someone, and when they desire you back, you're dealing with fire, and it yeah. can quickly overtake you. Yeah. 
And for for the for the young non married or the single people out there or someone who's dating, you might have already experienced that. But be careful because that's the way that God yeah, made right. it. That's, that's right. the way that God that's made right. it. And we can all say, of, of course, I'm not going to do anything yeah. inappropriate before I'm married. I've, I I signed a piece of paper. I wore a ring. I bought a t shirt. You know uh, about you know love always waits or whatever it might be. But it's like, yeah, no, 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 no. The bride here is telling you, the Shalomite is saying, this is like fire. You know, yep. you get close to this, desire builds, and unless you're ready, it's going to burn that's you right. up. So do not, I mean, that's the point. Do not awaken, do not arouse or awaken love until it's so desires. It's like, is this what you really want? Yeah. Like before you jump in, just let the fire burn out of control yeah. and get way too in deep physically. Yeah. Um, uh, do not arouse or awaken love until it's, is this what you really want? Yeah. Now, again, what this this actually um, presupposes a view about marriage, yes. and I think it's very important to uh, to state that view that sexuality, the two becoming one. This is we as human beings, uh, according to Genesis one, we reflect the very image of God together by being two complementary halves of a whole. There's an intensely uh, spiritual element to. Uh, to the marriage relationship, yeah. it's the two complementary halves, and I emphasize the two complementary halves. This is why um, the, the heterosexual relationship is so important because it's the it's the difference. It's the two the the two becoming one. Yes. The two complementary halves becoming one. Yeah, and um, and that oneness is a real spiritual oneness. It's a sacred thing. Right? It's a sacred bond. Mm. I mean, we live in a culture that is reduces everything to. Material, it's all just physical. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's just physical. It's just pleasure. It's just firing of the neurons. Yes. That is a really unfortunate view, and it actually doesn't even work. Well, then, well, then, why do we, you know, you know, why do we make such a big deal with the combination of children and sexuality? Or why, why, you know, why is that so wrong? Or why, you know, why do we feel so uh, violated when when it's misused? Or why? Well, it's because there's a that it it actually. Our sexuality is sacred. Yes, it's sacred. Yeah, yeah, and our bodies were created to be temples of the Holy Spirit, and so the two becoming one is a very, very sacred thing. So mm. do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, mm. uh, because it's like a fire, and and it's meant to be a fire that's contained in in a fireplace. That yes, in in the right context, let it burn, let it burn away in all of its intensity, mm. um, but uh, but. Do not arouse. Do not allow that to happen until you're absolutely sure. Do you really want to become one with this person? Uh, because whom God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen. And you know, today we live, you know, with the tragedy of broken marriages and what that does to society and children. And um, and you know, I it's it's hard to overstate the damage that that does to people. And mm. um, and and. And this shouldn't be, you know, and, and if that has been your experience, this shouldn't. What one of the other problems, and particularly in Christian contexts, been a lot of shaming around this. Yes, um, you know that probably comes from a spillover of that more Platonic way of thinking. Yes. You know, wh- where are oh, the the physical is all just dirty, and mm. and um, a lot of the shaming comes from that, not from the you know, not from the the biblical way of of seeing things, because uh, no matter. 
how much we've got it wrong, God offers us a, a fresh start yeah. and, and a new beginning. Amen. And so wallowing in shame or even shaming people, hmm. you are never, ever going to lead someone beyond where they are. And God's purposes are always for restoration. Hmm. If you're listening to this and you have experienced shame or anything in this, in this area, hmm. God does not want... God does not shame you. He wants to draw you forward. He wants to bring you to, he cleanses you uh, through what Jesus Christ has done. Mm. He renews you. He leads you towards restoration. So so shaming, you know, any sense of shaming around this issue is is inappropriate. Um, You know, of course, yes, there sometimes we do the wrong things, and the sense of feeling ashamed can be a, a valuable indicator, like a like a pain receptor. Something has gone spiritually wrong. Yeah, and, and we and we can, yeah. Once we feel that sense of shame, if you've been there, you know, you know exactly what we're talking about, and you can say amen with the with the with the daughters of Jerusalem and the Shalomite yeah. and say yeah it's don't go near yeah. it's it's that's right so there's the, there's that sense that this is a spiritual thing and and something has gone deeply like let yourself feel that yes. if something has gone wrong because that's like a pain receptor yep. telling you uh, you know alarm alarm something has gone wrong yes. but but you don't need to wallow in that because there is forgiveness and restoration in Jesus Christ so i i would want to say you know, the physical and the sexual. This sexuality is sacred. Yeah, amen. sexuality is sacred. Amen. Absolutely sacred. And and this is why often it's interesting that um, pagan cults have often had a sexual element because because the sexual element oh. has this. It, it kind of gains access. It is an inherently spiritual thing, and so to violate someone's sexuality these pagan cults to create a kind of sense of control or it will involve sexuality. And we, and, and again, don't feel like this is, we're talking about something far removed from the everyday life. I mean, still in politics today, the biggest hot button issues are all about aspects of sexuality, yeah. of, of, of yeah. human sexuality. Let me just, let me just say, um, I, I want to make one last point out of, out of Song of Songs, Matt, and then I'll let you, I'll let mm. you wrap it up because we're running out of time. It's funny how over the years, and we're, we, I'm, I'm just going to go back over modern history, like the last 100 years. We've lived through the sexual revolution. Yeah. Now, the sexual revolution was was largely a secular pushback against what they thought was the moral oppressing church. You know, in the in the you know from the 50s to the 70s, it was like, yeah, no, man, free love. You can. That's do right. what it, it was. As push, it was pushing against kind of Victorian style. Uh, approach to sexuality, which was actually more platonic than Christian. <laughs> exactly. So this this idea, this stereotype of sexuality. Now, yeah. we've lived long enough for this experiment. To, yeah. We've seen the fruit of it, and it's all bad. Mm. It's all bad. Uh, but it's so funny that now this next generation of young kids who've been brought up in, in, the, in the world that we, we're in is mostly from the studies that we're reading, and I had a dear atheist friend talk to me at length about this recently. Mm. The next generation of these young people are mostly asexual. They're not interested in having sex with each other. Sex is like, that was your, like they're mm. almost looking at sex and free love as a boomer thing. All right, boomer, mm. yeah, fine. You know, you go have your free love. I'm not interested in that. I've got my pornography. I've got my Netflix. I've got whatever. I, like they're living yeah. in this weird disjointed, yeah, you know, sort of universe. And now- the studies are all in the best sex lives out there and the and the most 
uh, the people who are most sexually satisfied and happy are those with the most traditional values. Mm. In fact, in studies around the world in Western countries, Christians topped all of the lists of people who were satisfied together, long-lasting, mm. and had and found a deeper meaning in this yeah. sexuality. So the experiment is in. Mm. From the you know from the you know the the free love and every like everything that we've lived lived through mm. is that it doesn't work and that what we see here a you know something that is thousands of years old in the Song of Solomon this mm. idea of love desire and romance between one man and one woman this is the way for satisfaction this is the way yeah, and and, right. and I just wanted to I wanted to sum up to say I've I've only been married for twenty years. But I testify to that a hundred and ten percent. You know, I, 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 I am for the best that I can. Me and my wife, we're living, trying to live this out, and it is the depth of reward and 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 spiritual satisfaction and fam, familial, fam, you know, satisfaction and all of these beautiful things of depth. I'm so thankful that I've got yeah, this right. as as a way to, as a blueprint. Yeah, there's so much reward. There's so much reward into building a great relationship. Mm. You know, it, it is, and I mean, and and it it takes both people involved, you know, to do that and to build. And when you do, you value it more. Mm. The more you build into it, you know, a lot of people go into marriage thinking, "This has got to bring me happiness. This has got to give me joy." Well, how are you going to find joy in it if you don't take joy to it? Mm. So you, you've got to, you know, you've got to sow into that relationship and into that relational space and build it. And and the more you do, because it's something that you have built together, you know, you value it even more. And it's, you know, it can be hard sometimes. I would say it's the it's 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 the most rewarding aspect of life, but it's it's also, uh, you know, it can be the hardest because it's about all the little things, isn't it? It's it's the the little increments. Um, of being considerate and respectful and and loving and self-sacrificial and mm. and it's all in the little things you know relationships work in small increments and um and i and you know i think that's that's probably the first thing but i, I to finish i guess on the note of cuz we are living in a bit of a in the midst of chaos really when it comes to sex and sexuality and you know we have this book song of solomon that celebrates the beauty of, of sexuality as God created it to be. And, you know, it, it's so important that we respect the way that God created it to be, um, that just doing whatever you want, whenever you want, uh, that's just not going to work. Um, and doing things the way God created it to be doesn't it's not about stifling something. A lot of people think that's stifling something. No, it's actually releasing the full potential uh, of, of how wonderful this aspect of life could be. And then finally, I would want to remind our listeners that sexuality is, is, is sacred. It's sacred. Mm. Um, what, hap- you know, what is happening for you sexually, it's, it's a spiritual thing. Even what you may be doing and perhaps excusing in in. In, in a secret place and saying it's not hurting anyone. No, no, it's it's always spiritual, and um, and I, I think it's really important that uh, that we put this within the right boundaries, put this within the right 
context. Don't allow the world to mess up your sexuality, whether it be through pornography or through the kind of licentiousness that our society thinks is normal and appropriate. Just do whatever you want when you want it. The attitude of it's just physical. All of those things are distortions uh, of something wonderful and spiritual and sacred that God has given us. Oh boy, Song of Solomon did not disappoint. I'm so thankful for the discussion Matthew and I were able to have through that. I hope you got something out of it as well. Now, please, if you've got any issues or you want to talk about the, uh, you know, what we've been talking about through the Song of Songs, please get in touch with us. Even if you've got something personal going on and you've got some questions or feelings or something that has been brought up through this, it doesn't necessarily have to be a discussion that we're going to have on the podcast at all. You might just want someone to pray with you. You might just want someone to reach out to. We'd love to help you with that as well. You can do that all over at thrivetoday.com. TV, thrivetoday.tv. And we tell you this every time, while you're there, you can also support and donate if you appreciate the work that we're doing so we can keep putting these podcasts out for free. Well, we'll see you in a fortnight when we start the book of Luke. Until then, thrive. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production.